Good morning, everybody. Well, we're, we're carrying on in Mark, as Dom has just said, and uh, I'm just going to pray. Spirit of God, come to us now. Let us see. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, at the end of chapter one, before we hit chapter two, uh, Mark tells us about Jesus's great tour of Galilee and uh, crowds would come to him from all over the place, everywhere. People were coming towards him uh, to meet with him, uh, to listen to his teaching, to be healed. All sorts of things were going on. Crowds were building day after day, more and more, until at the end of chapter one, we find that Jesus couldn't even enter a town. The crowd was too great. Uh, for him to enter the town. He couldn't sort of pop in and um, book in to travel lodge and uh, sort of wander around and check the place out. The crowd just came immediately. They heard he was there. They came to him immediately and flooded around him and crowded around him. Many, many years ago now, when I was a teenager, uh, I had the extraordinary experience of crushing into a crowd in in the middle of Woolwich in southeast London. Uh, it was so huge, this crowd, you couldn't see uh, any floor at all. There's no pavement. We were just crammed together. People were climbing lampposts and things like that um, and standing on standing on post boxes and doing all sorts of things that health and safety people would be horrified at. And all it was was to see this young man, Cliff Richard. That was all it was about. But for these people in Mark's gospel, they were seeing someone who could change their lives. They were looking for someone who would make a difference to them, who would bring life and health to them. And so we come now to chapter two and we're in uh, verses one to, to 12, if you've got it in front of you. And I'm just going to talk through this now, uh, talk through this story as the crowd once again, he comes back home to Capernaum. And once again, there is this massive crowd It is so big that they cram into this house, fill it up. And the Bible says even the doorway was you couldn't get in. There's this huge crowd of people trying to hear through windows, no doubt, trying to uh, just get closer to Jesus and find him. And so into this situation comes this desperate man. He's desperate. He knows Jesus will have the answer for his life and he's desperate. And so they have friends and uh, the, the four of them hold his mattress it presumably had some ropes attached to it and they carry him to the house and they can't get in and uh, they can't reach Jesus they can probably hardly hear him and pray be there were other people who were sick pushing him away shoving uh, and pushing and and so they decide to do something pretty radical they climb up onto the roof, maybe from a house next door. We don't know exactly how they climbed onto the roof, but they got up onto the roof and immediately start to push the, their way in by 
breaking the roof open. They start to pull away materials and start to break the roof open. I expect things dropped down onto the floor. I expect it was uh, inside people thinking, what is going on up there? What? Who? And, yeah. I don't know if you've ever claimed on your home insurance. We have here. And... Um, very nice man comes and looks at it all and says, oh, yes, I see what's happened and uh, goes around the house checking everything out and makes a list of work to be done, which is done and they pay for it. Wonderful. Great service. I don't think Peter and his wife were thinking about that as their home was demolished through the roof. I don't suppose they had any insurance at all. And so they're looking up and thinking, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? And down comes all this material and then down comes this man. He's desperate. Great measures, extraordinary courage, amazing friends, but he was desperate. And in these days, when we feel desperate, we need to smash our way through to Jesus. We need to take every step we can towards him. You know, when you're feeling desperate, sometimes you, you don't feel like pushing through. You want to just lay back, give up. No, Jesus calls you. Come on, get close. Get close, push through, break open, get close. And Jesus sees this man being lowered down in front of him, probably his mattress now on top of some rubble uh, as he lays there. And Jesus says to him something that has echoed down the ages, something that is extraordinary. Just five words, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, I, I don't know about you, but that seems an extraordinary statement to me, to a man who's paralyzed. If we've been paralyzed in these, uh, in these days, paralyzed mentally or even paralyzed physically, Jesus comes with the answers. And sometimes they're a bit surprising. And this for this man, the answer was surprising. Son, your sins are forgiven. He'd seen his faith in the power of Jesus. And the greatest power that Jesus held was surely this, that he could forgive sins. Of course, people around probably were saying to themselves, is that it? Just those five words? Is that it? Is that all? Surely we need to hear more. Surely there is more to all of this. Well, yes. If you want the complete story of Jesus and 
and why he's powerful enough to say these words. Yes, you need to understand a bit more, but this man just had faith in Jesus. Jesus, you can deal with my life. And as he lay there looking at Jesus, looking down at him, I'm sure he felt that, that conversation, that interaction, that moment when the love of God poured down on him, that moment when he saw the creator God in Jesus and the love of God pouring down on him. Child, son, your sins are forgiven. What, said the scribes, how can he say words like that? Surely we need a discussion about this. You know, and for many people down through the years, the simplicity of this, the simplicity of this statement has been an offence to them. They would rather go through a history of failure and discuss the failures and why they happened. They'd rather go through a history of all the things that had happened in their life that had caused them to sin and their feelings of inadequacy and their feelings of guilt and there's this and there's that and oh, all, all the lot. And Jesus just comes in and wipes it away. In a moment, he just wipes it away by his blood we've been made clean. In the moment, he doesn't ask for a review of your life because he knows your life. He doesn't ask for a, a great commitment to sinlessness in the future because he knows he'll provide the power to lead your life. He knows. And this paralytic lying on this mat knew the greatest gift of all. Son, your sins are forgiven. In a moment, he's made clean. And the scribes are horrified because, of course, they want to go through this jot and that tittle of the law. They want to make sure the tithe is done. They want to make sure this person is a person who's worthy of receiving this sort of forgiveness, ironically. They want to know that he's not a tax collector or a sinner, but part of the people of God who are automatically holy, aren't they? What is this man that he's saying these things? Surely only God can forgive sins. And of course, Jesus stands there. God's son. God's gift to us. And he knows what the scribes are thinking and he knows what they're, what's going on in their hearts and the jealousy and, and, and the thinking about kingdom of God that is so, so wrong. Their legalism blinding them to the wonderful joy of the grace of God poured out. And this paralytic looks up into Jesus's face and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the love of God is poured out upon river flowing over his body he's free he's free to worship 
the king of kings. And the scribes say, who, who is he? How dare he? And from that moment on, they start to consider how they could get rid of this Jesus. And he turns to them, knowing what they're thinking. They didn't have to say anything because he knows what they're thinking. And he turns to them and he says, okay, I'll show you the power that I have to forgive sins. What's easier to say? Oh, son, your sins are forgiven or son, rise up and walk. What's easier to say? Come, come on. And of course, the, the scribes think, well, it's easy to say sins are forgiven because you can't see the result of that immediately. To say, rise up and walk. Well, that has to have an immediate response. So Jesus challenges them about it and he turns to the paralytic and he looks at him and he says, come on then, rise up and walk, take your bed and go home. And there is an immediate result. Just like moments before, there was an immediate result. When Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, there was an immediate result. Immediately he was made clean before God. Immediately his guilt was gone. Immediately he was set free. And so as this man on his pallet, on his bed, hears these words, rise up and walk, immediately his body is given life. I mean, what a miracle. Strength to limbs, strength to muscles, the ability just to stand up, the ability to hold a bed, the ability to roll it up if, if it needed rolling up, put it under his arm and walk out through the crowd. Immediately, everything was put right. when we came to Jesus and we come in faith when we came in faith the first time and we lay paralyzed as it were paralyzed in our sin and our paralyzed in our life that had gone wrong when he spoke those words over us immediately and just so he takes his bed, this paralytic, and he walks out. Reminded of so many other miracles that Jesus did, of course. But people instantly are changed. Instantly they can do things they couldn't do before. But the most precious thing, the most eternal thing is this. Son, your sins are forgiven. You're right before God. You can walk into his presence. And Jesus said another thing. He said, 
the Son of Man. I'm the Son of Man to show you that the Son of Man can forgive sins. And of course, for the scribes, that will be ringing bells instantly in their heads. They knew the scriptures and they knew the scriptures well. And they knew well that this was a quote from Daniel chapter 7. And you can read in Daniel chapter 7. Here's some homework for you. You can read in chapter 7 this extraordinary vision Daniel has of glory, of heaven, of the place where God dwells, where the, where the one who created everything, the one who is over everything, where he dwells. And Jesus is seen coming towards him in this vision, and he's called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man comes to the Almighty Father, and the Almighty Father gives him power and dominion over everything that has been created. He gives him all power and dominion. That's the vision that Daniel had. That's our Jesus. And this one who's come from that glory onto earth stands there in front of this paralytic, the one who created everything who saw it spoiled by sin, who saw the effect of sin through the centuries and has come to make it all right again. He's the son of man. And later on in Mark's gospel, I just want to read to you what Mark says, Jesus said about himself again, as he goes up to Jerusalem, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, there's that phrase again, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life, this Son of Man, this King of Kings, this Creator, this one who stood at the beginning of creation, comes into our lives now and can pronounce for us, son, daughter, child, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? When we come desperate, paralyzed, he reaches out to us in love and grace and mercy. He knows. He knows your history. He knows. But he wipes it clean in a moment. Immediately. That favourite phrase of Mark could apply here so well. Immediately. He's clean. And then he also is physically healed. This is our Lord Jesus. This is what he's done for us. We sung earlier on about what he went through. And Mark in chapter 10 tells, tells us that Jesus defined every point. They'll mock, they'll spit, they'll flog, they'll kill. 
But then, on the third day, the Son of Man will rise again because he's paid the price. He's been the ransom. And we are clean and free. So hallelujah, what a story. I bet those people in that house were stunned. And the Bible says they talked to mum and says, who's seen anything like this before? This is just extraordinary. And we could look around our, our friends in the church, those who've trusted in Jesus, and we could say, look at this. Isn't this amazing? Look at these lives held in the hands of Almighty God because they've been changed in a moment from death to life. And there will come a day, there will come a day when every sickness, how relevant is that today, when every sickness will be gone. When all of creation's pain will be finished and we will live with Jesus and see him face to face. Lord, I just thank you so much for my salvation. I thank you so much, Lord, that you met with me and spoke with me words of life that have continued to ring in my ears every time I feel such a failure. And you reach out, pick me up and say, come on, walk with me. So much of this gospel, Lord, is so simple. Help us by your grace to hear the simplicity to not be offended, to not reach for our own works and our own efforts, but to rest in this extraordinary grace of the living God. Amen.